0: Revelation tonight, and you uh, word to our hearts and uh, in our minds uh, that we would be encouraged and uh, that God would be just able to receive all that you want to speak to us uh, tonight. Please ask Father for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. You in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Alrighty. If you need Bibles, if you don't have one, uh, just grab one off the table there. Uh, we're going to look into uh, Psalm 22. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 109, 28. you guys remember anything about that? I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah, okay. That's good. So, yeah. All right. so anyway, Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5. Somebody um, read that when you get to it. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In your fathers. uh, In you, our our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Mm. All right, thanks. Uh, That that version there starts with the word yet. Uh, Some versions start with the word but. Anybody have a but in there? Or is it yet? Yeah. 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 yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's kind of the same idea, in a sense, because it's uh, he's drawing a contrast with, I don't know if contrast is the right word, but he's, if you look at the first two verses of Psalm 22, uh, the idea behind what's going on is that uh, he's, the psalmist is feeling deserted. Where do you know that? To. Um, Jesus on. on the cross all right. Jesus on the cross, right He says that, he, he literally says that He quotes Psalm 22 on the cross Alright And uh, so the psalmist who was writing this is, is feeling deserted He's feeling alone He's feeling like God has Hung him out to dry And he doesn't know what's going on And But despite that Yet, or but He's drawing a, a moment there. I feel this way. All right. Now this is where I want, you to, I want you to draw a distinction in your mind here. I feel a certain way. All right. Whatever that is. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm uh, lonely. Whatever. It's like I feel a certain way, but or yet. And then he goes on with the song, because something was more powerful than the way he feels, and and that's an important thing for anybody, anybody is going to live a balanced life. There has to be something bigger and more important than how you feel in any given moment, at any given time in your life is, th- that's going to change. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times, there's going to be things you understand, there's going to be lots of things you don't understand, and we can't live in that up and down motion of the emotions that go through us. Just can't. There's no way to live, there's no way to have any kind of life, especially abundant life. So there has to be something greater than that. There has to be something bigger than that in our hearts and our minds. Something in our consciousness. And by that I mean something you're thinking about. Something you're aware of. Alright? That's what I'm talking about. That you have to come to some kind of conclusion. You have to come to some kind of awareness in yourself that there is something bigger than how you're feeling. Because in the midst of, I feel this way. And that's okay to feel that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody's denying how you feel. Nobody's denying the... the... whatever you're experiencing. How do you deny that? It is what it is. I'm angry. Uh, I'm whatever. I used to... And then there are a bunch of Christians, and I used to be around a lot of them, that would actually live in denial. They would say, well, I'm never depressed. Because I'm a Christian. So you never feel that way? No. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. They would refuse to acknowledge feeling a certain way because their faith, whatever it is, their their belief system did not allow for that and did not allow them to experience certain emotions. Now, that, to me, is just self-deception because we all experience emotions we all experience highs and lows we all experience things that we're going to agree with we're going to disagree with we going to understand we're not going to understand we all experience those and so to say well I, I don't feel i never feel depressed or i never feel alone or i never feel afraid or i never feel this way or that way i think is robbing reality because reality is you do reality is those things happen reality is that that's in us god created us that way that we would feel certain things and there's nothing wrong with that that what's wrong and where all of this comes about i mean people think well if i never admit to it or i never say this happens to me or I pretend it's not happening to me or whatever that you know that they won't live in it all right but denying the truth is in and of itself not living. Denying the truth is in and of itself kind of putting ourselves in a position where we're not in reality. And if you're not in reality, you're not living. Not really. Because you're not experiencing things for as they are. You're not experiencing things that in truth. And so the reality of it is we're mad. The reality of it is we don't know what's going on. The reality of it is we feel forsaken. The reality of it is that we're feeling a little down or depressed or whatever it is. And and so let's start with the psalmist here, David or whoever it is writing the psalm. It was okay he felt that way. That's okay. There wasn't any there's no argument about that part of it. No one is arguing it. No one is trying to pretend differently he felt that way. The the part that we need to grab hold of is the yet or the but part of it. Starting in the verses we're looking at because it's the yet and the but part of it that makes the difference. The yet and the but part part of it says, I, "I'm not going to live this way. I, I'm not going to dwell in this place. I feel depressed, but I, but I, I feel like I'm alone. Yet I feel angry." but I feel like I don't understand what's going on yet, I. And then he begins to make some faith statements, not denying how he feels, but putting it into a larger context and perspective. And to me, that's the key. That's the the key to what's about to happen here. That's the key to how this guy is going, going to live his life. Because he's really... Why does he speak out in faith? He just talks about who God is. He talks about who God is, that despite feeling deserted, he still believes something bigger than his emotions. He still believes something bigger than how he feels in a moment. That his faith is something larger than that. I mean, every every person on the street can believe in the moment. right? It's like, I believe I'm depressed. Yeah, you probably are. That doesn't take a lot of faith. It's whatever they're feeling. It's what they're believing. We have to have something bigger than that. And as Christians, that's a real challenge because, you know, I I, I stand up in front of a church full of people, alright? And there's some people going to be, that are going to come in, they're going to feel something this way and that way. Whatever. But every now and then, I was just talking to Pete about this. You know, I have to kind of rally the troops. Why? Why? Why do we need a project every now and then? Which we do. Why do we need to rally around something? Uh, Because we get stuck in the moment. We need something bigger than ourselves. We need something bigger than that just, you know, what, what we're feeling right now. Something bigger than the task, the list that's on our desk or wherever it is or in our phone, or the, the things that keep beeping at us and stuff. And we need something bigger than that. And for a lot of us, it's hard for us to maintain that. It's hard for us to really maintain that self-discipline that, well, I feel this way, but God is this, 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 and this. And instead of pulling ourselves out of it, we need to have somebody else do it. Now, we all need a friend every now and then, but... I think we can live better than what we're doing. I think we can do better than what we're doing in faith, and and we can be people who help other people out instead of living in that place ourselves. And I mean, you, you might not realize it, but if you're going to get stuck and you're going to live in a place, other people see that, and there's no motivation in that for them to do anything other than what you're doing. That's the way it is. So, something has to happen in us, something has to take place in us, that is that but or that yet moment, that we're in honesty, honestly, you know, I'm not, okay, we say I'm feeling a little depressed right now, that's honest, but, honestly, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now, but, I mean, if you talked to me in the last two weeks, I've been feeling overwhelmed, and, and I just that's just the fact of the matter, that's how I've been feeling. I've been feeling overwhelmed, I've been sleeping well, I've been anxious, but there's something bigger than that, alright? There's something bigger, and there has to be something bigger than that, because I can't live there. I refuse to live there, I refuse to live like that, and I know that I don't have to. And and all of us have got to climb out of that pit, whatever it is, whatever your pit is. It may not be my pit. Anger is one of my pits that I fall into, or whatever it is. Uh, Depression might be your pit. Hopelessness might be your pit. It might be a combination of things. I don't know. Yet or but. And then we start going into what he says here. And he basically talks about who God is. And he begins to speak. And this is really the spirit of Christ that you see here in Psalm 22. This, this is Jesus. This is, he's testifying through this psalm. And the way you know that, the way you understand that, is that Jesus quotes this on the cross. But this was written a lot, you know, way, way, way before Jesus was ever on the cross. Uh, Revelation 1910. Uh, if you want to just turn there real quick, it says uh, the testimony of Jesus, you guys know the rest of that? It's uh, the spirit of prophecy. See, see, this is the testimony of Jesus. You understand that? I mean, he he literally quotes this on the cross. And so you have a psalmist. He's writing his feelings and he's writing what he's about to write. He said, but or yet, and he begins to speak forth this truth. This is a prophetic word. Revelation 19 10. He looked completely confused there, Maddie. I did. I was like, where? <laughs> but he begins to speak forth a prophetic word here. Is that not it? That's the end of the verse. Yeah. yeah okay. I found it. Yeah. So, so this is, and I want you to take this as a prophetic word. This is, this is more than just one moment at one time. This is a word for these moments in all times. This is a word for us. I mean, if you think about it. If this is a word that's good for Jesus. It's, it's a word that's good for us. It's a powerful word, all right? And so, this is the Spirit of Christ. This is the testimony of Jesus. This is a spirit of prophecy coming forth through this psalm. You know, if you're ever looking for an example of Revelation 19.10, this is a good example of it. Psalm um, uh, 22. And we really need to be convinced about who God is. Because what this is, is beginning to, speak, <coughs> beginning to speak forth the truth of God. And, and that's what we hang on to. That's our but, that's our yet is the truth. And this is who God is. You know, we feel a certain way, but the truth is who God is. Jesus talked about it and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, He is the truth. And the truth embodied in a person. And so, who God is, is the truth. This is the truth. And so, I may feel a certain way, I may be uh, uh, experiencing certain emotions. I may be uh, having a hard time through a certain time in my life, but the truth of the matter is God. And I have to remind myself of that. And I have to uh, somehow get my mind moving toward that truth. I feel this way. That's true. But there's a greater truth than that. And that is found in the person of Jesus. A much greater truth than that. Romans eight, thirty eight and thirty nine, so I wanna look at that. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so Paul, speaking to uh, what was and what would be a persecuted church, he made a faith statement in Romans chapter 8. And he says to them, I am convinced. Now, why do you think he tells them that? Did he tell them that so they would know he's convinced? Or do you think he's telling them that so that it might encourage them to also be convinced? Alright? What you're looking at here is Paul giving instruction to the church. He's giving instruction to the persecuted church, the church that is being tested. They are being tested. And so when we are tested... Those are the times that we doubt. Those are the times that we feel abandoned. Those are the times that we feel like we don't understand what's going on. And so they were probably in the midst of that. His answer to that, at least one of his answers, part of his answer to that, is that he's convinced and they need to be convinced of certain things. They need to be convinced of certain things about God. Certain things about the way God works, who He is, and how He works in the world, how He works in their lives. And you can read what He says there that He lists off. These are the things you need to be convinced about. All right? Saying, these are the things I'm convinced about. Now, here's a guy that was in one, two shipwreck wrecks that we know of. Maybe three. He was beaten with rods. He was left for dead. He was stoned. He'd been in prison. He'd be in prison again. He'd been tested. And so being tested like that produced in him a conviction that he needed to be convinced. Because if you're not convinced, if you haven't just settled the issue and there's any wavering, you're going to eventually lose it. Alright, we need to be convinced. Not necessarily just, uh, you know, to assent to something. Like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But really convinced. Like, really convinced. Like, nothing else makes any sense. Convinced. And that's how I see the word convinced. That you're so convinced that nothing else makes sense. People talk to me sometimes about stuff, or, or Christians will bring stuff up to me, and they'll start talking to whatever they talk about to me, and I have no idea what it even is, because it makes no sense to me. I'm fairly convinced. Well, I'm pretty convinced. I'm convinced about what I believe on most things. Now, I'm flexible about some things, but there are certain basic things that I know that I know, and whatever. Somebody wants to argue about it? They can argue about it. I'm not going to argue about it because I already know. And the stupidity involved around trying to come up with some other way or whatever makes absolutely no sense to me. Because I'm just convinced. That's it. And there has to be those things in a world, and I know we live in a world where nobody's convinced of anything, but there have to be those things in our lives we're just convinced about. Like nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can come in between us and God. Nothing can can put us outside of the range of His love for us. Nothing. Whether it be hardships or whether it be uh, death, life, whatever's in between, torture, whatever it is, nothing can come between me and the love that God has for me. Nothing. He's convinced you know what? That word he speaks here in Romans 8 was tested more than once. Stoning. Did that come in between? No. Being beaten by rods. Do you know what that is, by the way, being beaten by rods? You want to hear something really bad? Being beaten by rods, if you lay on your back and stick your legs straight up in the air, perpendicular to the ground, and flex your feet so the bottom of your feet are flat, up in the air, take rods and beat the bottom of your feet until they broke the bones in your feet and your ankles and from what i understand of it it was extremely painful not only was extremely painful you were pretty much disabled after that and that's why being beaten with rods specifically mentioned and when Paul was accounting what he'd been through as a Christian. That's pretty nasty. But there he was. He's still convinced. Being beaten by rods could separate him from the love of God. Couldn't couldn't do it. So the, everything he mentions here had already been tested. Everything he mentions here, he'd already been through. He was on the other side of it. And he's saying, I'm convinced you know what? He was convinced. Because nothing he went through separated him. Nothing. I love God. And so he gives us that. That's a little gift for us. As an example, as someone who's been through, he's on the other side, he's convinced. Not only is he convinced in his heart and by his faith, he's convinced by his own experience. Because it was tested and it's true. So we have an eyewitness. Now you think about some of the things the psalmist says here. Uh, whatever you choose to believe is going to be tested. I do want to say that. I want to say it will be tested. You know, like we said, the Psalm 22 that was quoted by Jesus on the cross. If you want the reference for that, it's Matthew 27:46, where he. He, he this, this came about. Now, Jesus, when He said this, think about that. Who's Jesus? He's Son of God, Son of Man. He had a relationship with the Father where He spoke directly with the Father. The Father spoke directly with Him. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. I mean, you can go down the list, I mean, He's pretty close with the Father. There's no doubt about it. He he is super close with the Father. And yet he's on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken on the cross. He felt like God left him. He felt like God just completely turned his back on him. And he couldn't understand it. And I know I know people want to try to explain that away. Why? Why do we need to explain that away? Why does that have to be explained away? Why do we have to have a doctrine about that? You know that verse created a whole doctrine? About uh, how God can't look on sin and all this other stuff? It's not in the Bible? That, That verse creates doctrines because people want somehow to try and explain it so they can deny it. Just like they want to deny their own emotions. It's like they want to deny their own shortcomings. They want to deny their their own weaknesses. They can't can't even look at Jesus and think, well, uh, he felt that. Well, of course he felt that. Wouldn't we? In that situation, in that circumstance, wouldn't we? I mean, I don't know. I, I imagine so. And so he felt it, but did it change anything? Did it change his resolve to be on the cross? Did it change his decision to remain there and to die there and to give his life as a ransom for me? to didn't change anything just because he felt it. You know why? Because there was something bigger going on. There was something bigger in, in his faith and his belief, something greater than the way he felt in that moment. Even though he expressed it, even though it's been recorded, even though it's in the book, There was something greater going on. why we know that? Because he stayed where he was and he did what he needed to do. Because that's why he went there and that was his purpose for being there. And there was something greater in his belief, something greater in the way that he saw himself and he saw the Father, that, that, that he knew that that wasn't the end. That the way he felt there in that moment was not necessarily the big picture truth of what was going on. It was true to him. That's how he felt. But it wasn't necessarily the big picture truth of what was actually going on. Because the big picture truth of what was actually going on is that he was about to change the course of history. He was about to change the world as we know it. He knew that. He understood that. And he went about doing it, no matter how he felt we do not need to explain away emotion. We don't. We don't have to explain away Jesus' emotion. You don't have to explain away your emotion. It is what it is. But, yet, there's something bigger going on. There's something greater going on. There's something important that's happening around us. Now, somebody look at James one three. now where we don't keep scoring soccer games or you know, everybody gets an A in class. And we don't want to create a situation where you know we're creating false competition and we don't want kids getting anxious about trying to measure up and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Testing is good, actually. And it's good for us. Because it lets us know where we're at. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. I don't, I don't know that I've ever made any self-gains without self-testing to see where I'm at over time and to work toward something better than what I've achieved so far. So the, the testing of our faith produces better things. In this verse specifically, it says perseverance. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. But it produces a lot of good things. It's how we know. It produces a knowledge. It produces a self-awareness. It produces a, a, a confidence sometimes when we see where we're at. Or it may be a motivating factor to get to it. Because we're not where we thought we'd be. Because, I mean, we're pretty self-deluded sometimes as people. And we need an objective uh, scale. We need something to tell us that this is where you're really at. You know, it's easy to be, you know, super spiritual when everything's going your way. When things don't go your way, how spiritual are you? Well, I, don't know. I guess we're gonna see. I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I thought I've been thinking I've been doing a lot better with my anger for years, and I, and, and objectively. I look at it and at least <laughs> frequency and volume wise, <laughs> I'm doing better. But this last couple of weeks, because of the anxiety or whatever I've been feeling, uh, my anger issues were right at the surface. And as good as I thought I was doing, it was a test. I'd say, well, what happens when you're feeling this way? Or what happens when you're anxious? What happens when. You, you're not sleeping enough. What happens you know, in these circumstances? And then all of a sudden, they start coming out. It's like, well, maybe I'm not where I thought I was. That's okay, in the sense that I need to know that. Because I'm not gonna end up in some situation, especially a crucial situation, where I need to be cool, calm, and collected, and something strikes, like some anxiety strikes, or the devil comes along and decides to pour it on and I'm going to crack because I'm not ready for it. So I see where I'm at. I see my weakness. I see where I'm vulnerable. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm hoping that I'll take that and continue and be more motivated to work in this area of my life so that I'm stronger the next time this happens. And it will happen again. It's gonna happen again, and that's a new test. Let's see how I do. Let's see how I do the next time. I don't know, maybe it'll be better, maybe it won't. I have no idea yet. But that's why you test. So you find out. So, whatever it is guys working on you with, the test helps. You don't like it. Alright, nobody likes it, I guess. (laughs) I mean, nobody looks forward to the test. I mean, the teacher announces there'll be a midterm exam coming up. Blah blah blah. And like, yeah! No, nobody likes that. You know, you got to study, you got to get ready, whatever. But the reality of it is, though, it's a good tool, and the reality of it is, it helps us, and and we're better for it. Okay, look at some of these attributes in Psalm 22. It says, God it tells you God, God is holy. God is holy. Why is that important? Well, um, because of this. That's a characteristic of God. That is a, one of his eternal characteristics. You hear certain attributes of God. One is uh, that He's omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. He's omnipresent. Means everywhere all the time. He's omnipotent. Means all powerful. But He's also holy. He's holy. And the reason that's important is that even even though God didn't answer, like in Psalm 22, or Jesus on the cross, even though He didn't answer right then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, there's no answer in there. Right? He didn't answer. He chose not to answer. And even though He didn't answer, and even though the psalmist doesn't understand why, He doesn't understand what's going on necessarily, or Jesus. God isn't answering, God isn't speaking to him. What's going on? I don't understand fully why I'm not hearing from him. I trust your character. Is what he says to God. Because you're holy. I trust you. Being holy, the idea behind holiness is being pure, which means that you're made of one thing. Being of one thing. And the closer we can get to just being of one thing, the closer we're going to understand what holiness is. You got 50 things going on, you're not close to holiness yet. Holiness is one thing. One thing matters. One thing drives you. One thing is important. That's holiness. That's who God is. He's one thing. That's it. That's it. And so because he's holy, he's that one thing. You can count on him. You can count on him. And you can trust his character. Even if you don't understand what he's doing right now. Even if you you have no idea, like why isn't he... Why is he answering me? Why isn't he intervening? Why isn't he doing this? Well, yeah, but you can trust him regardless. Regardless, he's one thing. It's not like, you know, the Bible talks about there's no shadow of turning with thee. You know, I'm talking about God. He doesn't change. He's one thing, and he's always one thing, and he's going to be one thing, and he's always been one thing, and he'll be one thing into the future. And so, if He's proved Himself faithful, you know what He is? He's faithful. If He's true, He's true. If He's righteous, He's righteous. If He's loving, He's loving. He is of that one substance as He reveals Himself to us and it doesn't change. And so today, in this circumstance, in this moment, I didn't hear from Him. He didn't talk to me. Does that mean He doesn't love me? No! He does love you. How do you know that? Because he's holy He's one thing. He's already shown you that he loves you. He's not going to prove that. He doesn't need to prove that every single day to you. His character is such that he does. And so, you know, us and our insecurity or whatever it is trying to make him prove himself over and over again, that's just not how it works. He reveals himself as a holy God. He reveals himself as a God who has, has shown us that he is consistent and faithful. And that's exactly who he is. There is no need for him to reveal himself. And I know he does every now and then. I know he encourages. I know he shows us in different ways. I know that's by his mercy and grace. He doesn't need to do any of that. Because he's just one thing and he's not changing. And so theoretically, if he loved you 10 years ago, then you you can count on the fact he loves you now. Even if he hadn't said it in 10 years, you know he does because that's his character. And he's nice and he'll tell us in different ways, you know, in between, but he doesn't have to. And so in any given moment, however you're feeling, doesn't change who he is. And people make a fundamental mistake about God when they're feeling a certain way and they apply that to God. I I feel all alone today. God's left me. No. No. Yes, you feel alone today. I'm with you on that. I'm really sorry you feel that way. God has not left you. He will never leave or forsake you. Ever. Because that's who He is can count on it. Oh, I, I, I don't feel close to God today. He, he's angry with me. No, no, he's not. You don't feel close to him. I'll give you that. Okay. Sorry, you, you don't feel close to him today, but he's not. He's not living in anger towards you. He loves you. He cares for you, and he's going to take care of you, and he's loving you just like he did yesterday. Today, he's loving you. Still. And he will be for the next thousand years. And the thousand years before that, he still loves you. He's going to keep loving you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this is super important to live in beyond your emotions. Alright, so he starts off, God is holy. And then he said, uh, God is enthroned. What does it mean to be enthroned? What do you think of? Immediately, when you hear that rulership. Yeah, like a king, right? Sitting on his throne. There. Like Conan the barbarian, <laughs> sitting on his throne with a scepter and a sword. Or whatever. Yeah. He's a king. And he sits enthroned. The Bible talks about him being enthroned on the praises of his people. You see, You really want to understand God and you want to live in that understanding. Well, what's your part in that? Your part is worship. Now, worship is important to God because, you know, He likes it. So we we do that because he He likes it and He instructs us to do it. But it's important to you. It's also important to you. Because through worship, you remind yourself who He is. Through worship, you put yourself in the appropriate place before Him. Through worship, you, you you ascribe to Him His worth in your life. In other words, you remind yourself, this is who God has been in my life, this is who God is in my life, and this is who God is going to be in my life. And that's why important with worship. Because not only are we giving Him what His due is, but man, we're really reminding ourselves and we're encouraging ourselves in that truth. He sits enthroned on that. And the way you keep Him enthroned in your life is through your worship. That you're recognizing that, you are proclaiming that, you are showing Him that every time you worship. And I'm talking about real worship. I'm not talking about sing-along. Alright? I'm not talking about the right demonstration. I'm talking about real worship. I'm talking about really you looking at God and worshiping for who He is. That's what I'm talking about. He's enthroned on that. And that, that makes perfect sense to me. And this is a bold statement in Psalm 22. That he's enthroned on the praises of the people. people. The reason this is a bold statement is because always in the Old Testament He was enthroned between the cherubim. talks about... The mercy seat. He was enthroned at the Ark of the Covenant. He was enthroned in the tabernacle. He was enthroned in the temple. Those are the places where people gathered to worship. There were physical representations of God in each of those places. And they recognized and they proclaimed, well, you're enthroned in this place. But they they failed to recognize. They failed to really grab hold of the fact that those are just symbols. And so when foreign armies would come, they they believed that, oh, there's no way they could destroy Jerusalem because the temple's here. The Ark of the Covenant's here. And yet, armies did come into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple was destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant was carried off. And they failed to understand that there was something else going on. There was a bit of symbolism going on here. Even in the New Testament, when uh, Jesus is in Samaria, and he comes across a Samaritan woman in John chapter four, and and they get she starts to argue with him about where God is to be worshipped. What physical place is God to be worshipped? Uh, she said, "You Jews believe it should be Jerusalem, but Samaritans, you know, here we believe it's here that God's supposed to be worshipped. And she's like arguing with him about it. And the fact of the matter was, Jesus turned it totally away from that. It's like you missed the point. You missed the symbolism. You missed where this was pointing to and who this was pointing to. Uh, That that God desires our worship. But He desires us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We get back to that truth again. That reality. We get back to those those faith statements that that this is who God is and worshiping Him for who He is. And it's a spiritual act. Yeah, we physically sing. Yeah, we dance. Yeah, we have physical demonstrations. But where do you have to do that? Anywhere. It doesn't matter where you do it. There's nothing special about the place. And even in this day and age... Even 21st century Christians will flock. They will spend money to go to a certain place because they'll say God is there. Really? God is here. God's everywhere. Well, he's there in a special way. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But we're missing the point with that. We're missing the spiritual aspect that God is spirit, and those that worship Him worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's a spirit; He is spirit he, by His nature. He is spirit, and so He is enthroned on the praises of His people. In Matthew eighteen twenty, you know, I'll look that. or three are gathered in my name there am I among them alright uh, this is a proclamation of Jesus and don't turn that around don't put that backwards and I've heard bad doctrine that way I've heard Christians do that well if you don't have two or three <laughs> Jesus isn't there we <laughs> so need another person Jesus was basically saying here, he's like, when do you gather together? I'm right in your midst. That's a spiritual statement. That's a powerful statement. That's a reality. That's a truth. That is the truth of it. And so he's in our midst already. He's right there. And so we begin to praise him we begin to recognize him for who he is, we, we, we proclaim the truth of who he is. And that's great you know we're ascribing work to him, but it's reminding us of who he is. and as we do that and we worship him in spirit, he's enthroned in our midst. In other words, rule and reign God. That's the kingdom of God manifesting in our midst right there. Rule and reign. And we're letting him know you're powerful, you're mighty, you're faithful, you're true, you're all these things. Rule and reign. Rule and reign. God, you want us to do this? Rule and reign. God, you're you're commanding this. Rule and reign. That is the kingdom of God. There it is. That's the manifestation of the kingdom. Last thing I want to talk to you about is... uh, That God can be trusted. And uh, either you're going to believe that or you're not. It's like people. You know, some people in your life you trust. Some people you kind of trust. Some people you trust in most situations. Some people you trust in a few situations. And some people you just don't trust at all. All right? have got these varying degrees of trust. Uh... You know, for example, like, if you want the roof of your house done, you can trust Dave Bentley <laughs> to do a really bang-up job on the roof of your house. Okay? You can. You, you can trust him to do that, because he, he's really good and knowledgeable at doing that. He's awesome, as a matter of fact. Just, just really, really good. If you want your house cleaned, He's not your guy, all right? If you want to maintain order in your house, don't hire him as a coach, all right? He's not very good at that. So don't trust him with that one. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? I know he's a person but, that you know, but I want you to think about that. Uh, we have categories of stuff, and we put people in certain categories, and we trust them with certain things, but maybe not other things. And the reason that that is that's wisdom, because people are imperfect. That's wisdom, because people have strengths and weaknesses. That's wisdom, because people will sometimes let us down. That's true, right? But God's not like that. And so we need to have some kind of a different understanding of how we're going to put our trust in God. That we can't categorize what we're going to trust Him in. Because the minute you do that, the minute you set limits on your trust of Him, is when you just take over really making the decisions in your life. Because if you think about it, it's like you, you can always change that. You know, the categories you have in that. like well, I trust Him with my decisions about my, uh, my future. Like, where I should go. You know, God, if you want me to be a missionary, God, if you, if you want me to do this, do that, I'll do it. Um, and, and that's awesome trust you so much with the financial thing. So that's why I don't tie. Right? And, and we can change that as it goes. Because maybe in the future God says, alright, well, I want you to quit your job now. And I want you just to devote the next three months to praying, seeking me, and worship. And you think to yourself, I don't know how I lived for three months but it wasn't working so, hey, I don't really trust you with that one either. So I'm going to keep working I'm going to do what I need to do because the Bible says I need to provide for my family. Okay, do you see how that works? And there are lots of things that come up like that. And if you have a sliding scale on trust with God, you're going to miss what he has for. You just Because you're going to think, well, that doesn't really fit in. Or that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Or that wasn't what I was thinking. Or I've had this dream my whole life and that doesn't fit my dream I've had my whole life. Whatever it is. Right, whatever that is, and you roll that sliding scale, and you're gonna miss some pretty powerful things because of that. You're either gonna trust him or you're not. And in, in those, and, and God's just like that. And, and I know that sounds. And I always hesitate to do that. If it's not black. It's white. Now, you know, I don't normally do that. But you're either gonna trust him or you're not. Because if you're just on the sliding scale, you're really not alright he's looking for just total trust that's what he's looking for because like I said he will be tested because if we are not convinced if we are not sure if we haven't made our decisions over over wherever long we've known him if we can't do that then we're gonna fail the test and we're gonna consistently fail the test because we don't have anything bigger than our own minds In our own experience in the moment. He's got to be bigger than that. In order for Him to be bigger than that, we need to be able to trust Him, no matter what. So, He's not answering me, but I still know He's holy, I still know He loves me, and I still know He cares. Oh, I don't understand what's going on right now. I'm feeling kind of left out, or I'm feeling kind of out of the loop with God. Well, but I know His plans for me are good. I know He's begun a good work in me, and I know He's going to complete it. Know it I trust him. So no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what's in my head, it doesn't matter. Because I know something bigger than what's in my head, and I trust him. So these these are the kinds of moments that we need that kind of trust. I've got two verses for you, Isaiah 12, 2. salvation i will trust and will not be afraid for the lord god is my strength my song and he has become my salvation and then the prophet there says that a couple ways in him will i trust he's become my salvation and then there's a good study in that verse about what he says god is my salvation and he says god has become my salvation I think what you see there is a statement of faith and then a personal realization take place through his life. But there's a powerful statement of trust there. Okay, Revelation 21.5, the next verse. The one who was sitting on the front said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said, Write this because these words are true and can be trusted. God revealed himself in a number of different ways. Uh, He speaks into our life. He uh, shows visions. He appears to us in dreams. I think it's significant in Revelation 21.5 that he makes the statement, he's like, write these words down. Because these words can be trusted and are true. And so we have a written record of what God has said to And that written record acts as something that we can count on, that we can look to and that we can count on that in a lot of ways are a revelation of how He sees us and how we should see Him. And so part of our challenge is to fill our hearts and minds with that. And that helps us to trust more and to be more solid and to be more convinced as Paul said to the Romans. We have His Word. We have our experiences. We have the revelation that He's brought us. He needs believe. Something bigger than your emotions. Something bigger than the moment you're in. And in life a lot better. Not so much a roller coaster, but more of a smooth You more when things are good. He just doesn't. He not love you more when things are bad either. He's holy. He just loves you. So, be careful not to. And I I'm going to be careful how I say this. Be careful not to humanize God too much. I mean, we want to see him that way. you want to relate to him. But he's not human, and so don't cast your own weakness onto him, because he doesn't have that weakness at all. And uh, so be careful with that. Any questions, comments? Uh, I have a book in my house called the, the Book of Virtues, and it's just full of stories that used to be common that would just be told to kids. Right. And, and there's stories I heard growing up. There's stories that uh, most of my friends heard when they were growing up. And there's stories they don't even share anymore. Right? They were taught in school. Uh, they were taught at home, and they they expressed a higher ideal. They express a higher virtue than whatever you think or whatever you feel, and uh, they they remove the centrality of the of me and you from the center of the universe. And that was what they're supposed to do. Because as human beings, we have a sin tendency to put ourselves at the center when we don't belong. And so these stories helped kids. Train kids not to do that. They're not the most important, they're not the the greatest, they're not the best ever. Uh, They're part of something bigger, like society, civilization, being kind, being civil, being polite to one another. Yeah, I know, it's all just stupid European Western values. Yeah, yeah, they formed some of the great societies of the world, Um, and we are quickly, quickly losing it all. Uh, But that affects, I think, uh, when you see, I I think it affects more than that, it affects more than the society and uh, more than this culture. I think it really affects our you know how Yeah. I yeah. yeah. You don't have to be the most important to have value. Right. Things don't have to around you to be okay or good, right? Or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. And do uh, have a question on the, the word holy? Because you are saying uh, being pure now but when I was uh, growing up I was taught holy just meant set apart and that's all I was taught it was. So how does that, would you agree with that kind of definition? How would that fit in with the being pure aspect? Uh, Well, the idea behind it to me Mm -hmm. is uh, being of one substance, Mm -hmm. uh, the purity. I'm looking at, I'm looking up something. Being of one substance and purity to me Divine power, veneration, uh, mm-hmm. godly, saintly. Oh God, yeah. Alright. Well, the, the way I understand this, mm-hmm. that the reason it's set apart is because it's one thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, if everything has a mixture, mm-hmm. then it's like I mean, you understand there's something in it, and it's right. like something else. Right. In other words, if I'm mixed with something, you're mixed with something, it may not be exactly the same things, but it's something, mm-hmm. and it's something that's shared with somebody else. Right. Okay. So, uh, we're all in that soup together, in a way, mm-hmm. we're in that stew, that soup together, and uh, he's not. He's only one thing. Right. So, he doesn't have the other portions of the soup that we do that join us to the soup. He only has one thing. Now we have some of him in us, mm-hmm. right? So we're joined to him, but we're also joined to the soup. Right. right? But he's not. Right. He only has one thing. Okay, that makes sense. Anybody else? So, there is a reality, regardless of how she feels about it, of he, this revelation we have. And i to be hung up on it, but it's a reality to the situation. So, would I bring that up to, to spur somebody to argue with me? No. that get hung up on that and it's it's silly it's silly why I mean, I, they feel slighted because they want to think of God as a female but do you want to think of God as a female is that why you're upset about that I brought it back to the relationship. Oh right, and, and Gary revealed himself through that. But, I, I'm always curious about that. It's like, so... Uh, were you abused by your father? Did your father leave? I am mean, why upset about mail? Uh, freaking rug muncher or something? I <laughs> 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 Pitter ass self. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Hallelujah. Well, Father, thanks for uh, just being who you are. I thank you that you are holy. I thank you, God, that you are faithful. You are true. Uh, you love us. And I thank you, Lord, that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. And I thank you that gather as we gather. You are here as we gather. And that as we recognize you and as we praise you and as uh, we proclaim you, that uh, that's the kingdom. That's the rule of reign. That's when you are enthroned in our midst. And so I would ask you, God, that uh, you be enthroned in the midst of your people here. Uh, As we gather to worship, as we gather to so to meet together, that we not only recognize your presence, but we would enthrone you and put you in that place of ruling and presiding. King kingdom of God, your kingdom come, and your will be done. In our midst, you have And I pray that we be convinced. all we'll need to be convinced You love us. You're the same yesterday, today, forever. And I pray we wouldn't be a few people ruled by our emotions. Or ruled in the moment. That we could be honest about it. Honest to how we're feeling. Honest to what's going on. But there would be a but or a yet that would overrule even how we feel in any given moment that, I pray you grow us up, and mature us, as you trust you more. I pray, uh, and I do, I pray boldly for an absolute trust, absolute trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.